Hello, and welcome to Think Fit, Be Fit podcast. My name is Jennifer Schwartz. I am the founder of Impact Your Fitness and the Think Fit, Be Fit podcast network. I'm also a certified muscle activation techniques RX practitioner, a certified exercise physiologist with a master's degree in health sciences. It is my mission to get you an upgraded mindset for a more potent workout. And this is done through inspiring education to build resilience and use knowledge that will boost the quality of your fitness and the quality of your life. This episode is a solo cast and it is very much on target with that mission. Today's episode is dedicated to one of my favorite features of consistent exercise and that is neuroplasticity and BDNF, which is brain-derived neurotropic factor. But first, I want to invite you to be part of our podcast family. This is not your typical fitness podcast. We have one feed and two shows all about thinking more effectively about fitness, having potent workouts, and learning uh, how things really work so that you can truly invest in your process and become more involved and just more realized and actualized through fitness. So on Mondays, you will get myself, Jennifer Schwartz, with Think Fit Be Fit, which this is my network and I am sharing ways to become inspired for high quality fitness and just like high quality performance It's it overall. So I'm having these unique conversations with myself like today and my colleagues and friends from all over the world. On Wednesdays, you will hear fitness for consumption. And this is something I'm so proud of that we can put on this network because this is the work of Dr. Paul Juris and Gregory Gordon, whom are both pioneers and thinkers in human movement science. And it's just a real treat. So you can learn from and alongside a actual research scientist in exercise and Gregory, who is my colleague and partner in, you know, uh, putting together some education products. And we both have a lot of clinical experience. He has a master's degree in motor learning and motor control, which has just such a unique perspective on how we move. And I really encourage you guys to check them out. We also have two recap episodes that are in the show notes. I'd also encourage you to check out some of my favorite episodes from their uh, collection. We have, you know, 11 or 12 of those episodes now. So I really look forward to, you know, hearing what you guys have learned and how you can do that is join us on Instagram and Facebook at Think Fit Be Fit Podcast. We have a newsletter at thinkfitbefitpodcast.com. We also have an affiliates page on the website, which is the a way that you can support the podcast is purchasing products that I actually use in my 
weekly routine, and those are Ruvi, which is a high-performance drink made of just fruits and vegetables. They have four blends, and we have a special website where you can just purchase that. You don't even need a code. You get your discount, and we get credit and support. The other product is called Ladder.Sport, which is a high-performance sports nutrition company founded by LeBron James and his trainer alongside Arnold Schwarzenegger. And these products are sports nutrition, so protein, pre-workout, hydration. I have been using the plant-based protein and the hydration product as well as the pre-workout. I am loving all of those. Please use the code BFIT10 over at ladder.sport or check out our affiliates page to get more details and learn about that that company, which is NSF certified, which is a certification that less than 1% of supplement companies achieve. And that is awesome. So on to this episode about BDNF neurogenesis, neuroplasticity, and why we need to love it in our fitness. I keep coming back to this question about how can we embody science in our exercise and how can we be intellectually stimulated into exercise rather than being scared or fat shamed into exercise. I'm really trying to change the conversation about it. And this is how I'm doing it is sharing the things that I love and that I have found fascinating throughout my 10 year plus career in neuromuscular therapy, athletic training, personal training, uh, educating trainers, educating medical providers on exercise. And I just, I'm really, I don't know, I'm honored to share this stuff because it's exciting and it feels good to just be unapologetically in love with exercise and be able to share that stuff. It is such a pleasure, such an honor, such a privilege. Okay. This topic came up for me when I was putting together this series because it's something that has impacted the way that I view fitness and physiology and the neuromuscular system on a very deep level. And it's one of the first things that really captured my attention as a student for, again, these like very deep reasons. And it's a concept that honestly holds so much promise for those of us with old injuries, brain injuries, chronic pain, uh, and for those of us who are really motivated to age well right? Not gracefully. <laughs> age health, age in a healthy way. It's uh, something, it's a concept that I discuss in depth in the signature course that I offer called Movement Pathways. And it comes up in our clinical applications at the studio that I run and operate called Impact Your Fitness Studio. And it comes up in the podcast often because we're always talking about how people can change, how if we change the way that we interact with our exercise, that that changes our body and our mind. So one of my favorite teachers 
uh, it really helped me understand this by saying when you exercise, you are also like altering your brain and your mind and your body and seeing those, you know, things as different at entities is a really expansive and meta way to view the nervous system and view the muscular system. So that's really why I'm sharing this. This is something that really inspires me. So there's a uh, here's a definition of what this is, neural plasticity. And it can be viewed as the general umbrella term that refers to the brain's ability to modify, change, and adapt both structure and function throughout life and in response to experience. This is just really important to know because st- as adults, when we want to change, we have to recognize that our body can change. When people ask me in interviews about my perspective and how I teach and help people heal from chronic pain, chronic injury, or prevent injury, is that, you know, one of the things I have to get every client on my that comes into my clinic on my table. I need them to believe that their body can change. So this concept is absolutely crucial um, to changing because we don't like inertly change. Um, We have to have an intention. So for example, when you sit down for a lecture uh, and the presenter says, after this show, after this presentation, after this lecture, your brain will be changed, your mind will be changed. That's not necessarily true unless you actually direct it and bring attention to the change that you want, you, that the change doesn't happen. So just by te- somebody telling you to change doesn't make it happen. Same thing um, with medicine. Sometimes I think, you know, it does change us chemically, but it might not change like the perception of the injury or the perception of the pain. And that can cause problems. There's this like huge mismatch. And what I encourage people to do is come over to the side of thinking in this uh, biological way about how our body and brain changes. And then welcome that change by actually recognizing it. And that's the what this neuroplasticity stuff is all about. So I really have studied this a lot. Um, the the updated information that I am using is a combination of Dr. Rhonda Patrick's work over at Found My Fitness, Huberman Lab, and through my own research for the Evidence in Medicine, Evidence in Motion project that I am working on. So this is a combination of a lot of reading that what I'm sharing with you today and you know, in from Huberman Lab, he I quote when he says, "Neural plasticity is arguably one of the most important features of our biology," and that's essentially what I'm trying to paint for you today. This is the story I'm trying to tell through research and through my experience. And honestly, what does this have to do with exercise? Um, it has a lot to do with exercise when you're talking about my clinical approach, but it also has this like really general, uh, reference to exercise in that 
chemicals made during exercise by the brain mediated by muscle contraction. And again, like think back to the myokines that I was discussing the last few weeks. These chemicals prime your brain for learning, change, and pruning. And this is a big and it has an impact on so many things in our body. It has a broad relevance for aging, brain function, behavior, metabolism, energy expenditure, and satiety. So what that means is the function of BDNF, what one of these chemicals is important for appetite, coordination, balance, hearing, memory, and learning. And so again, this has something to do with what I would call bodybuilding for the inside. How we are priming our brain and our nervous system and our immune system to function the best so that we can be biohackers and, you know, really tweak our performance, right? So you have to have this underlying foundation of my body can change, my brain can change throughout a lifetime, and I'm in charge of being able to make that happen. And so I am going to talk about this in the context of the science, but first I want to change, to let you in on the reason why this is so important to me. Part of the messaging of this podcast is to help and support a generational concern amongst millennials, which I consider myself an elder millennial. And a lot of Gen X uh, peers of mine, right? Uh, A lot of Gen X, anyone will be able to identify with this as well, is that we don't want to age like our parents. And now when I say that, this this comes across as a concern for so many of the people that I've worked with over the years. And I think it's really important to just recognize that this is a concern of so many people, a generational concern. We see the burden Medically, we see the burden financially, we see the burden in a socioeconomic way. And one of the ways that we can really change that is to embrace the science view of exercise so that we can be that ripple effect of showing people how true this is. Um, you know, an allegiance of smart exercise. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not asking you to do a whole lot except be consistent and smart about your exercise. Right. And then the, that's one big mission for me. And then I have this very, very rare view of the nervous system through Lou Gehrig's disease. You know, this is how my mother died almost 20 years ago when I was 20 years old 19 years old, and it has impacted the view of how important the nervous system, how the neuromuscular system is to health, overall wellness, overall performance. And so I really feel that and I see it. And I think so many other um, children who have lost their parents to Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, would agree that movement is precious. 
having control over your body is so precious. Watching that dignity die away with someone with Lou Gehrig's disease is very painful. Um, and you know, that really contributes to how strongly I feel about this, um, view on health. And so, you know, I'll just leave it at that. And then the other, the third thing that really drives my curiosity in for neuroplasticity and the nervous system and the neuromuscular system health is that I have, my business is, uh, Essentially, muscle activation techniques is how I help people. That's why people come to see me. And I've seen people's pain levels change significantly within minutes of this doing this work. So I am a, you know, I do therapeutic work with the body through the muscles and the neuromuscular system. I am not a clinical therapist per se, but I do this work in the context of how well the muscular system works. And we look at the function and efficiency of how the muscles are balanced and how they're firing and how they're communicating. So through that work, I've literally seen people with horrible pain change in a matter of minutes, hours, and over time keep that status. So part of finding the answers for why this works is looking at neuroplasticity in this performance way. So now I'm going to speak to the history of neuroplasticity and why it matters. And that is when we're children, this is how we learn. Like when our brains are young, they have so many open connections and it is our sensory it's our senses job to essentially prune these things and use experience to uh, create our model of the world. And if, if someone is born without an eyeball, <laughs> a visual, you know, part of their visual cortex isn't working, other parts of the brain kick in and do the job of that area. And this happens with people that, you know, have uh, really traumatic injuries. It happens with people that are unfortunately born without certain things in their body. It's well known that other parts of the brain can pick up on those skills or those processing functions. And that's neuroplasticity. So as we get older... Um, the function of neuroplasticity changes. So one of the big myths in neuroplasticity is that we grow new neurons and we neuroplasticity and exercise can help us grow new neurons. That's not necessarily true. And what it does do is it creates more networks. So in children, any experience can change their brain. As adults, that is the opposite. <laughs> Experience does not change our brain. We have to be very intentional about the input to change the brain and change the tissue, change the pain, change the motor recruitment, change the muscle imbalances, change 
how our body recovers. We have to be very intentional. And that goes for any kind of mental illness as well. And okay, so what that means is we have, as adults, we have to unlearn before we start learning again. Before we get new neural connections, we have to start learning again. And that's where BDNF comes in. So BDNF is one of the chemicals. It's a neurotropic chemical. And it is essentially a protein that makes this all happen. It lays down the wiring for the new connections. And I'm going to repeat myself again. It's just really important to distinguish between neural networks and growing new neurons. Adults have to prune away and unlearn to have stronger networks and new neural connections and behaviors and patterns. So that, what I just shared with you, is one of the distinguishing ways that when you see a headline, new neurons from exercise, and you just that headline will, you, you really should question the intention of that headline in that article because it's not necessarily true that we can grow new neurons as adults. However, what, we, what BDNF is shown to do is um, regenerate damaged neurons. That's huge for people with brain injuries um, and people showing signs of cognitive decline. Stroke would be another one. Uh, okay, so we got through, you know, what the popular news might tell you on neuroplasticity and what the actual truth is. And, you know, what's important to really see here is that BDNF is the link between exercise and brain health. These are the things that we can share with our loved ones with our um, partners to show them that exercise really can be medicinal in this way. So everybody needs to know this and love this fact because BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, increases neuroplasticity, increases our ability to make new networks and heal brain tissue, but it declines as we age. Low-level brain damage can happen from too much stress. Uh, Low-level, you know, if so, we're not just talking about traumatic brain injury here. We're talking about you being a less stressed human. We are talking about you being a more functional um, exerciser, you know, not just exercising to relieve the stress. Exercising to become more resilient starts with this knowledge of BDNF. So just straight up, it declines as we age and encouraging someone to exercise that has declining brain health could help them with BDNF production. And low BDNF has been shown to be a factor in all neurocognitive decline and diseases and is a promising treatment pathway for those with signs and symptoms of these diseases. And then on the other hand, when we're talking about our daily stress, our daily life, this is the thing, this is one of the things that can really help you cope and, and work with your exercise in the day-to-day way to be more resilient and to be more, you know, 
complete, like satisfied and happy and enjoying life. This is a big part of that reason why. So I will say due to practical limitations, it's pretty impossible to measure the brain BDNF levels and neurogenesis, meaning new pathway growth in and, and how the uh, damaged nerve cells can regenerate, which also happens from environmental factors too, by the way. And um, oof, that's a big one. Maybe we'll bring a doctor back on for that. <laughs> and measuring this stuff in humans after they exercise is close to impossible. But animal studies have consistently shown that exercise increases BDNF and neurogenesis in the brain. So, um, yeah, it sounds like it's just not practical to do that. <laughs> so I um, don't have to get into the gross details of that. But, you know, it has been noticed that BDNF, you know, facilitates this regeneration of damaged neurons, which can happen to us in everyday life, um, traumatic brain injury, concussion, uh, really not even getting enough sleep, like all that stuff, um, big wide range of problems there. Uh, in the studies where this was shown, they've actually transplanted modified stem cells that produce more BDNF in the animals. So even without the exercise, they just transplanted stem cells that had this like modified genetic expression and that will help uh, cognitive function. And so one of the interesting things about the definition of neuroplasticity is that it said functional and structural. Functional means memory, uh, recollection, performance, decision-making, uh, staying calm, staying alert, that's function of the brain. And quickness, agility would be on the other side of that. So um, for like a baseball player that had a concussion or a lacrosse player that had a concussion, uh, they need BDNF to really regain that agility and um, quickness. That's, that's kind of what I'm saying. And structural means the the volume of the brain, the, the more volume there is around certain cells, the more protection it has. So in the previous podcast, when I say exercise has a protecting agent on our body against inflammation, against damage, this is why BDNF is one of those chemicals that really helps with that. It makes antioxidants more available in our blood when we exercise. So, um, and this, it, it comes in all kinds of forms and kinds of ways. Most of it is made in the brain and some of it is made by like the liver, um, and a couple other organs. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, I think it's interesting, like the intestines make BDNF as well. And it can, it is said to also cross the blood brain barrier, which is where it becomes like this protective agent as well. So structurally, it helps our brain and functionally, it helps our brain. And this is why we have to move and be physically active for a long time throughout our whole life. And the study that I wanted to feature is this meta-analysis 
that involved 1,200 participants. And it found that low BDNF levels in both plasma and serum, so that has something to do with like blood and how long it's been circulating, and how low BDNF levels are associated with anxiety disorders. So they looked at OCD, they looked at PTSD, they looked at panic disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorder, I already said that, social anxiety, anxiety disorder, and so these are all different things, and all of these participants had lower BDNF levels with uh, anxiety disorders, Um, and again, this is across eight studies, so it's not just one, and it's from, I think, 2013, let me double check that, yep, and What was interesting is that they found that OCD had much lower BDNF than the rest of the disorders. And I just wanted to bring this up because um, anxiety um, is something a lot of us deal with on, you know, low key and high key levels. And exercise is such an antidote to uh, coping and dealing with it that I really just want to encourage you guys that, you know, even one bout of exercise can help anxiety. And one bout of anxiety can really, you know, hurt your health. So what I could go in so many different directions here. I could talk about sodium ion channels. I could talk about uh, anxiety and uh the opposite of neuroplasticity, which is like being inflexible with your thoughts. We could talk about how the nervous system um, reacts and changes because of anxiety. But we could also talk about something really helpful, which is when you feel that burn of lactic acid turning over during like a hit session or squats or something, that is a direct uh, access point to anti-anxiety medication in the brain. And that's why I'm bringing it up because I just think that is one of the coolest things ever. But before I get into that, I do want to say something about that meta-analysis. The interesting thing, really interesting standout was that People who had experienced more recent trauma within one year had higher levels of BDNF, which means, I think means that their system was on just high alert. So every experience, like every experience can then become more of a learning activity. Um, I think that's how you could interpret it. I, but overall... Um, BDNF levels in psychiatric disorders are very low. Um, There's some very strong findings with schizophrenia and OCD and depression as well. So before I get into the anti-anxiety medication piece, (laughs) there's also a meta-analysis here on depression and BDNF which was a meta-analysis of 11 studies of depressed and healthy people, and they found that BDNF levels were consistently lower among adults with depression. So it's um, a consistent, you know, correlation and strong evidence between 
depression, and BDNF. And there's also really strong correlation between increased physical activity and, you know, treating depression and anxiety. So I, I just, you know, I'm thinking of this as a way to increase your performance on a day-to-day level and just micromanaging your stress and macromanaging your stress by becoming more resilient, as well as preventing, you know, mental health uh, dysfunctions and diseases and brain health um, concerns. So that, you know, I, I, I could just go in, again, so many different directions with this. Um, so let's go back to that lactic acid and anti-anxiety, and then we'll finish up. Okay, so what's really cool about anxiety and the muscles burning during exercise, otherwise known as lactic acid production, is that it's linked to sensing and feeling fear in a part of the brain called that amygdala. I can never say that correctly. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> it's really interesting because the high acid level of, a, of the exercise environment and how our body uses it is also how we sense danger and, and how we create fear. So when um, we exercise, it's really well known that the, the burning creates or the burning is created by an acidic environment in the muscle. And that's a good thing because it also is telling us to basically run <laughs> um, from something that could be hurting us. So when I've said in the past that like exercise is a stress, that is because um, in a very ancestral way, when our body starts moving at an excessive rate or is, you know, sensing and detecting fear, it wants us to run and hide and use our muscles. So that's part of this whole process. Um, and I think that is really fun to talk about. And this also has to do with carbon dioxide. So in, some, in a study uh, that I picked up from The Wedge by Sean Carney, they were testing how much carbon dioxide they could put into someone's body before they expressed a lot of fear. Now that sounds very evil and experimental and it kind of is, but it also showed us that you can control um, how the fear is experienced by increasing your tolerance to carbon dioxide in the body. So this has to do with breath work, uh, doing ice plunges, I think, and uh, exercise. So cool. Okay, so back to this lactate thing. And chronic stress and depression and the ability to handle lactic acid is starting to really come up in animal studies. Um, I don't know how many human studies they are able to do like in vitro, which is like testing on site and blood chemicals and whatnot. So, um, you know, the... The idea is to show that lactic, lactate, meaning the production of this acid from, you know, moving, promotes resilience to stress. And then 
in a study of like 10 days with mice, they basically gave the mice lactate before each like stress session. So they purposefully stressed out these mice and the control mice um, were also exposed to stress and did not receive any lactate. So when the uh, mice that were exposed to stress without lactate, they displayed increased susceptibility to anxiety and social avoidance and just anxiety overall. So, but the lactate group promoted, it showed that the lactate promoted resilience to stress because they didn't have any of those behaviors or blood markers. And they were able to like um, restore certain chemicals in the brain after stress. So the stressed out, (laughs) all mice were stressed out. Some mice had not been able to recover from stress. So chronic stress in the mice world is 11 days. Chronic stress in the human world is months, years. (laughs) Okay. So The good news is after a meta-analysis, which I have brought up three meta-analysis on this, okay, the good news is that pretty much any type of exercise lowers anxiety from Tai Chi to yoga to high-intensity interval training. So when it comes to prescription of exercise for anxiety, it literally doesn't matter. It just has to be intentional and back to that BDNF production, right? It's your, uh, the brain can change and anxiety and stress response and our resilience can change, but we have to have that intentional step. We have to say, this is going to change my brain. This is going to change my behavior. Therefore, my life and my love, my relationships and my love for life Therefore, and I'm going to exercise with that intention. That's the key. Experience by itself does not change the brain. Experience with intention and the ability to remove the old connections, remove the old patterns is the thing that can change your brain, is the thing that can change your exercise. On the other side of that, when a person goes into exercise with stress, fat shaming themselves, having anxiety about how mean their trainer is or how they're going to get punished in boot camp or how much it's going to hurt, that's not going to change or really help you. And I would love to argue with someone about that. As you can hear, I'm getting very fiery here. I would love to sit down with someone who says, no, it doesn't matter what type of exercise you do, it will change you. I, by, the, by the literature and the reviews that I've read, I am very positive that we have to step into it with the intention in order to change. Just doing the boot camp, just burning the calories isn't going to do it. And that's why we need Think Fit, Be Fit. (laughs) We need it uh, to thrive. We need to think fit before we can thrive fit. Um, And that's all I have for today, guys. 
I really honor you and I am so thankful for you because sharing my love and being unapologetic about how freaking wonderful exercise is, um, is a pleasure. It's an honor. It's a privilege. And I really hope to meet you on social media. Say hi on the newsletter when you sign up. It's coming directly to my email inbox. So um, you won't, you know, we, we, we will be in touch uh, if you sign up with the newsletter. I also encourage you to leave us a review. We work so hard for this. Um, but at the same time, I'm also really just here to educate my clients and I'm taking the extra step to produce a whole entire podcast because of it because I really believe in signaling this out in that it will improve so many lives um, having an embodied practice of exercise so either way leave a review share the love that's how this the word gets out and that's how we can uh, start to you know, support the show on a monetary level is with more reviews because more people are going to uh, be able to engage with us. And if you would like to work with me, I am in Alexandria, Virginia. I do have a wait list to see clients and stuff, but I do have a virtual studio and you can find more about that at impactyourfitness.net. And the virtual studio is a place where I can sell, I sell programs. For example, I have a program for knee, post knee, post rehab knee strength. We have a program for a hybrid run program. So getting back to running with strength and stamina and endurance without hurting yourself is the promise of the program. We also have an upgraded home exercise masterclass that anybody can use for, uh, their body weight exercise to just make their bands and their home exercise equipment more effective. I'm really proud of that program and um, it's a low cost and it can really, you know, change your exercise, but we got to be intentional, right guys? (laughs) Thank you so much for listening and I cannot wait to hear from you. Have a wonderful week.